dangerously close. This episode was brought to you by William Michelotio. Do you like adventure? Do you like excitement? Do you like joining the Illuminati? Well, all of those things are in this episode, and that would not have even been possible if I didn't have this microphone, which I wouldn't have if it wasn't for William Michelotio. So I feel like the least we can do is go to williammichelotio.com. My guest today is Brandon Case. Brandon Case is an author, photographer, and adventurer. Last year, he hiked the 2,653-mile Pacific Crest Trail, walking the mountains from Mexico to Canada over the course of six months, facing deep snow, lightning storms, ash rain, and constant rebellion from his feet. His journey ran the gamut of experience from exploration and extreme athletics to death and TBI recovery. He has short fiction forthcoming in several markets and is currently reliving his PCT adventures on Instagram at Brandon Case 101. What's up, Brandon? Hey, man. Uh, so dude, I might be jumping way ahead in the story here, but uh, I kind of feel like I can't gloss over the part of your bio that said uh, you had a traumatic brain injury. Yeah. Without asking, like, did that happen prior to the journey or did that happen like out in the mountains? Ironically, we're jumping to the beginning. So, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this uh, I was part of the impetus for the journey. So I was in a really bad motorcycle accident maybe three years ago now, uh, about two years before I started the trail. Um, back when I was I was actually working for the state of California doing uh, IT work. And um, I rode a motorcycle around everywhere. I, I kind of I bought like the best motorcycle that I could and then had no money for another vehicle. So it was like my only vehicle. Yeah. And um, so I was riding it through Sacramento traffic all the time. And um, yeah, one day I was uh, on the way back home from work and I was on a three lane road. Um, there were two open lanes of traffic going about 45 miles an hour and then a stopped left hand turn lane. A woman came out of a shopping center across both of the open lanes and then tried to nose into the stop turn lane. Didn't see me at all. Plowed into her, did a full like front flip, uh, landed on the back of my head and then kind of like bounced down the road. And um, so, yeah, so that was the um, that was the big TBI. It um, it, it totally screwed everything up. Like I, I basically from that point sat in a room for about two years trying to like let my brain knit back together and uh, had a bunch of issues like um, really really bad headaches Um, I think I spent like the first three months or so just like just like out with like you know like nine out of ten pain like like every day and uh, holy shit yeah it it, dude it was it was really bad Um, the kind where you, you know you're just like you're trying to make it like second to second, you know, like just, you're just trying to get time to continue ticking forward. And um, yeah, anyway, so it it was pretty miserable. Um, That stuff kind of started to get a little bit better. I had a bunch of other weird stuff. My autonomic nervous system was like completely shot um, and uh, short-term memory, like all kinds of that stuff. Uh, That'll pop back up on the trail uh, stories uh, intermittently through this whole thing. But, um, but yeah. And then you have a a helmet on or did you just crack your just, bare oh. bare head dude my my brain would have been like just smushed across the the asphalt oh. with my helmet i had I had a really nice helmet i always wore full gear so i had uh you know leathers and a 700 dollar helmet and um that was the only reason that i i'm still here i'm sure but i actually landed on the back of my head and it just it was 
it was intense. So yeah, so uh, listen up, kids, wear a helmet because you can land, you can wear a seven hundred dollar helmet and still get a serious traumatic brain injury if you crack your head hard enough. Seriously, yeah, and um, so yeah, so I you kind of go through this whole TBI process with uh, you know like the normal process. They give you about a year and a half to like be recovering. Then they're like, you're pretty much done. This is going to be you now. And I was still messed up. And so, um, so that was pretty, that was pretty hard. And um, like I said, I sat in that room for like two years or so probably. And um, eventually uh, one of my friends took a road trip up to Oregon and uh, took me with her. And so I, I stepped out into the forest for the first time in like forever. And it felt like I could breathe again. And, um, and which was really kind of a powerful experience for me. Um, I grew up doing a lot more outdoor stuff, um, you know, running around camping and all that. And then, um, yeah. And so, uh, right around that same time, I saw something about the PCT. Um, I think it was on YouTube or something. And those, the pieces just kind of started knitting together just immediately after that. Um, I, um, started doing a bunch of research and then, um, I read about, uh, some people that had brain injuries that went on the trail and saw some amount of like recovery, even after that initial recovery window that they give you. And, uh, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this against, against all advice and the complete fear of like everybody that cared about me, who didn't want me to like wander off into the middle of the wilderness, you know, with a head injury. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, six months after that, I was, I was, uh, packed up and getting on the trail. Oh, hell yeah, man. So I guess, uh, what was the total time frame between a uh, motorcycle accident and uh, hitting the trail? Um, let's see, the accident was in January of 2018, and I was on the trail in March of 2020. So oh, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm glad your brain is doing better, man. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, uh, it was, it was cool. It, it got quite a bit better. I had, uh, um, I was surprised. I was really worried about, you know, the whole experience. I've always kind of jumped, you know, into these kind of adventurous things anyway, but, um, but yeah, uh, I, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do it, uh, this time and, and, um, it, it worked out and, and things got quite a bit better. My short-term memory was so bad when I was originally keeping my journals. Um, you know, I was on my phone doing everything. And so I would, um, I couldn't remember, uh, the, the mileage between, uh, the screen, um, on gut hooks that shows you where you are on the trail and then switching over to the app, um, the notes app and trying to put down the mileage. I could not remember the numbers between those. I'd have to go back and forth like two or three times. Yeah. And, um, and then sometime around like, the middle of the trail, those numbers and everything started actually like sticking in my head. And so there were a couple of things like that, but it was, uh, it was, it was market. And by the, by the, by the end of the trail, like I was doing a lot better than when I started for sure. So. Yeah. It's awesome. And you know, um, I had a second question that I had written down that I really feel like you kind of just covered so much of it. Uh, when we were just talking about the car, uh, motorcycle accident and like yeah. all the benefits that you got from the trail, but I still want to ask this question anyway, because I feel like there might be some more, uh, maybe some deeper level stuff or maybe some other things that, uh, that you just left out for that. And do you mind if I just kind of no, maybe, maybe ask you to say almost the same thing again? Okay. <laughs> but, uh, and I mean, and honestly, if the answer is really just kind of what you just said, then like we could just skip ahead, but I do want to ask, cause it's a, it's kind of a two part question. And, and one part is, I know you were saying like that, um, you had been, uh, reading about the PCT and like also like some of the benefits people had seen out there, but you know, obviously you have a choice 
where you're going to go, you know, when you go wandering into the wilderness. And so I was wondering, why did you specifically choose the Pacific Crest Trail? And then the like the second part of that question is also the deeper level, which is more than just where you decided to go, but why did you decide to go on a journey like in the first place? Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess we can start with the why, uh, which for me, you know, I mean, a lot of it had to do with the whole, you know, trying to find some amount of recovery from the accident, but um, I also wanted to, like, I've, I've kind of lived my life uh, like a protagonist, like that. I grew up reading too many, like, adventure stories and stuff like that. So that's kind of always how I've lived my life. I love gathering stories. And so I just go do, like, wild stuff that, um, you know, seems like fun. And, and that's been pretty much my entire adult life. But then for, you know, a solid two and a half years, all I had were tragic stories. And so like, I had some pretty good tragic stories, but I was really tired of them being tragic. So it seemed like something I could do that would have like a really cool uh, story or a lot of really cool stories associated with it. And um, as for why the PCT, um, it was pretty convenient since I was living in California anyway. And and I, I love the, uh, the West Coast, like all those mountains and everything. Uh, I absolutely love Washington. I've, I've lived in Washington before. And, um, and I was really tired of California at that point because I was trapped in this little tiny room in the middle of Sacramento, which feels like nothing at all like the wilderness. And so, um, so hiking from out of California, and it's like 1,700 miles to get out of California and uh, go towards Washington, which honestly feels more like home to me. Um, it, was, uh, it, it had a lot of good symbolic re- uh, relevance for that whole deal. Honestly, I, I couldn't think of a better... Uh reason to do it. I mean, I, you know, cause you really just spoke to me with that. Cause I, I do love to uh, collect stories myself. It's something that, that it's not always my motivation for doing something, but oftentimes if I'm going to do something and it's going to be something gnarly, it's because I want to add a new story to my life, you know, or for whatever reason, you know, maybe because it's fun to tell that story to someone else or because it's just fun to have that story for myself. Does, does that make sense? Right. So, totally. I think, I think I totally, I think I totally get what you're saying with that. I guess like also, I mean, we're doing a pretty good job of like, accidentally be staying at the beginning of the story, even though I thought I might be jumping because I had no idea how you got your injury. So I didn't know if that was like, if you'd been like in a, an avalanche or something, uh, but, <laughs> but uh, just kind of staying at the beginning, man. And so I don't know much about that trail. I haven't been, I haven't never been on uh, Pacific Crest trail, but I know that your uh, journey went from Mexico to Canada. Yeah. Do you start above the U S Mexico border or do you go down into Mexico a little bit? Uh, you start at the border, uh, which kind of simplifies the uh, the whole you know logistics a bit. But so yeah, you start at the big new border wall, and then you just hike all the way up to Canada. Most yeah. of the time, people go through into Canada. Uh, that wasn't really an option for my trip, um, which actually involved made it longer because I had to backtrack thirty miles to get to the nearest road in the U.S. and then like go back home. But that's a that's a story in and of itself. Yeah, that would be like the last thing you want is like at the very beginning of your of your hike, like to have to have some border patrol agent being like, what are you doing? You know, like, um, I'm going on an adventure. Yeah. <laughs> like, <they laughs> fucking understand that. <laughs> What's an adventure? Yeah. And I guess you couldn't go into Canada, right? Because the border was closed to you yeah. Americans, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shit, man. So I guess we really did start at the beginning, but do you mind? Can we like just for a little like you said, you know, you, you like, you like to do a lot of stuff, collect a lot of stories, do cool things before we go further onto this 
particular uh, adventure in the story. Uh, I'd like to go back like before the beginning and to see like, or just ask, I know this is kind of a tough question because it could be like, you might have multiple answers, but you know, just anyone you pick is totally fine. I was just going to see like, what would be like your gnarliest adventure that you had been on prior to hiking from uh, Mexico to Canada? Oh, that, that is uh, quite a question. Um, or it could just be like, you know, in your top five or your favorite or something, you know, it doesn't have to be. Yeah. 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 Stand no, like, um, it was interesting because most of my adventures haven't been of this particular vein. Uh, not since I was like a youth. Um, I, uh, um, I actually had never been backpacking before, uh, this whole thing. So this was, I, I just jumped in like, Oh, crazy. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, so no, uh, kind of, uh, there were, there was just like a hodgepodge. I, I moved around the U S a lot after, um, I got, you know, free of growing up. Um, so, and I just chose to live in all the various destinations that people go to visit. Um, you know, I figured those were probably the good places to go stay at. So like Southwest Florida and, uh, Washington, I spent a bunch of time in Southwest Florida doing uh, treasure hunting, like metal oh, detecting, sick, dude. like going out on, uh boats and like diving for treasure uh, i was never like legit enough to have a like a, a big boat um i bought a underwater metal detector and so i would and i had you know like i had you know snorkeling stuff and everything but my so i could just go down and like sift through the sand you know all throughout southwest florida uh most of the time i was probably about chest deep maybe like up to my neck um, the way that gold kind of falls um, into the ocean, it'll fall into these troughs in the sand because you have the, the waves are, you know, creating this bed and then it drags the gold back down. So you have these higher density bars of gold. Anyway, there are a couple of them. Some of them are about like knee deep. Uh, some of them are about chest deep. And so I'd be down there sweeping and um, mostly you get jewelry from like uh, people that are around, but sometimes you get really cool old stuff too. Um, I have a whole box full of like old random gold stuff that I found in the, Sick, uh, in the ocean in Florida. So <laughs> like, uh, anything kind of like a, like a doubloon, like a gold doubloon. I, I never found a doubloon. Doubloons are awesome. Um, no, I, I found a lot of like, I found some pretty cool old pendants, uh, that were like 10 karat gold or something like that. And then, like I said, like a ton of rings, uh, a, a suspicious amount of like diamonds and like, uh, rubies and stuff like that, just in these, you know, nicer gold rings, but those are all pretty contemporary. Uh, but it, it was totally wild. There's nothing like, you know, scooping your shovel down and then pulling up like a chunk of gold. Like it was, it was. Amazing. Yeah. Oh my God, dude. I, I think I want to change what I do right now. I want to go treasure <laughs> hunt, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit. You know, uh, what, wait, what part of Florida was that? Like, um, I lived in Naples and so, um, that's at the very Southern tip. It's basically across the peninsula from Miami. And, um, so, so I, I, I kind of wandered all around through there. Um, Marco Island was really good. That was a little bit, um, South of us. Um, so I, I did that whole thing. And then I connected with a bunch of, uh, kind of old school treasure hunting like guys. And, um, and then they had, they had like the most random spots. Like one of them had, uh, keys to the, all the, um, the school districts, all of the, playgrounds and their grounds and stuff and then the school districts would have him come in and sweep the area because you when you're when you're metal detecting like you're removing a bunch of like random jagged sharp metal from the beaches which is actually probably my favorite part of doing that like sometimes you go home with a piece of gold but you'd always go home with like 
a freaking bag full of like twisted gnarly metal that like wasn't going to be cutting people up on the beach anymore. Yeah. Anyway, I've always been into like into environmental stuff and stuff. So that was always really fun, but he, he would go and sweep the, the schools and you would find a suspicious amount of like awesome stuff in school playgrounds and stuff while you're cleaning it for all the people. And oh, uh, so anyway, there were tons of weird spots like that. Uh, man, I just, I don't know why this makes me think I, I knew this guy, uh, I was just thinking about sharks and just being uh, chest deep out there in the water. Like, you know, yeah. that's cause that's where they get you. But I, yeah. and I, I knew a guy that uh, he was fishing on a sandbar. So he was only like maybe like stomach deep, something like that. But a shark did just come up and just took his leg right off at the hip. Uh, he lived, but it's a crazy story too. Cause he was with his brother and his brother first, like the first, his first instinct was to try and get the leg back. I don't know why that was. <laughs> and he got the leg. So he went after the shark I, the story is that he was like punching the shark, got the leg out of its mouth, grabbed the leg and his brother and swam them both back to shore. <laughs> uh, but that the dude's doing fine, honestly. And you, uh, he's got such a great prosthetic. If he's wearing jeans, you can't tell he's missing a leg. It, it, he walk, he has no uh, limp or anything. It's crazy what they can do these days, but sorry yeah, to go off yeah. on sharks, man. I always, anytime we talk, like, I talk about this kind of like anything with like surfing or just, you know, like what you're talking about, like chest deep in the water, surveying for gold. I just think about sharks. <laughs> it's like my, yeah. my you, most you tighten, up, you tighten up every time you see a fin, I'll tell you. And most of the time it's a dolphin, but there's a ton of sharks out there. Um, people get really freaked out about sharks. The The actual statistics behind shark attacks are extraordinarily small. Like you're, you're more likely to win the lottery yeah. just with the sheer number of people that are out on the beaches. But, um, but that doesn't really like calm the fears when you're out in the water. And, uh, and you'd get uh, dolphins that would hunt the beaches like constantly and they'd come in in these, you know, pods or whatever, and like drive all these fish up into the beach and then have this big dolphin free feeding frenzy on the fish. But when they're, when they're doing that, they're up near the surface. And so all you see is the fin coming towards you. And, yeah. and like, yeah, that, that, that puckered me up every single time that I saw it. <laughs> that dorsal fin, like, man, it's, and you, there's no way you can tell it's a dolphin from like, unless the dolphin starts, you know, jumping out of the water or whatever. Yeah, man. Uh, now I know a dude that got bit by a dolphin as well. Actually, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a big. It was a. Uh, he worked with dolphins. He, he yeah. got bit like wrangling a dolphin, and it wasn't that bad. <laughs> but I mean, it was pretty. It was pretty gnarly. I guess a dolphin like they just choose not to like attack humans, but they could. They could mess us up. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, and I would say for myself personally, it's I, I blame it all. I don't want to. I don't want to just throw this all in Steven Spielberg's lap. Uh, or whatever but i think it's because i watched jaws just yeah. a little too young to like get the nuance from it and just imprinted in my mind that sharks are yeah. terrifying and that they're out to get me yeah I, like, and the, like the last time i was surfing it's like you know, it's weird because you know when you are surfing like when you're catching a wave that's all you think you're, you're just having like you don't think about anything scary it's just you know because you're just having so much fun but the last place i was surfing like i had to go i had to be like in the channel that's like where you waited for your turn and you could be out there for a while. Like you could have to wait, you know, 30 minutes before you got a chance to catch a wave. And that's the deepest part. So that's where the sharks are. And so I'd be sitting there just watching people, you know, waiting for my chance to get in there and paddle into a wave. And just, I'd start thinking, I'd be like, man, the water beneath me is so deep. Like, <laughs> like, and, and there are great whites, like where I was at. So I was, I don't know. We got off, we got off the subject <laughs> a little bit, man. Hold up. It's time for another My Views or My Own astrological reading. This week's horoscope is for Leo. 
Hello, Leo. As metamorphic Pluto concludes retrograde in your sixth house of work and service and health and organization, you will begin to hear a raging, intermittent gust of a terrible Antarctic wind, whose cadences will sometimes hold vague suggestions of a wild and half-sentient musical piping, with notes extending over a wide range, and which, for some subconscious mnemonic reason, you will find disquieting and even dimly terrible. That's right, Leo. It's time to eliminate all the things from your life that don't feel high priority and replace them with things that do. For the old ones have been disturbed from their ancient slumber, and the mountains of madness call all Leos to their desolate summits. Remember, Leo, you can't put a price tag on your peace of mind, so fill your schedule with activities that bring happiness and connect with your heart. And beware of prying too deeply beneath the surface of that ultimate waste of forbidden secrets as foretold in the ancient, unreadable text of the Elder Horrors. The new moon heralds that Libra will command your house of community. This will be a great time for a party or social gathering. But remember, being non-pairing and semi-vegetable in structure, the old ones had no biological basis for the family phase of mammal life. I hope this has been helpful, Leo. And now back to the interview. Uh, I wanted to, because this honestly, this does kind of, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip the next thing I was going to say, because this segues so well into another question I had for you. And okay. that is because I know you did so much of this journey solo. Yeah. And uh, so I want to ask, like, and, and this is just kind of like how you, you know, how you would all cat- categorize yourself, right? Like, w- is, would you categorize yourself as a person that just isn't scared of a lot of shit just in general? Or are you more of a master your own fears kind of dude? Like, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I think definitely the, the second half. I mean, there's definitely a lot that, that scares me, uh, just like anybody. I think, I think you'd have to be pretty inhuman not to be, you know, a bit frightened heading into some crazy, gnarly, unknown stuff. And especially once you get a taste of it, which was kind of part of the whole thing for me with the trail. Um, I, I spent about 90% of it alone and, uh, which was partly a matter of convenience and partly cause I didn't have anybody that I could like really go with. Like none of my friends are crazy adventurers or anything like that. It'd been kind of nice to, if I do this whole thing again, like if I do the continental divide trail or something like that, it'd be really cool to like bring a buddy that you're actually like tied with, like through the whole thing. Yeah. Um, it, cause I know a lot of people that do that and it's kind of more of an interesting experience for this personal journey. I just was going no matter what. And, uh, and doing it solo was probably more introspective and, uh, and better and, and let me keep my own pace and all of that. Um, but yeah, there, it was, uh, it was, it was terrifying at, at various points. And, um, I was just more determined than, uh, than terrified, which is how I kind of process most adventure. And then yeah. afterward, you, you don't remember that terror, like very much, like it's a fun part of the story, like a little bit of uh, spice to it but by and large you remember the high points so yeah absolutely i uh i have to like uh agree with you like i i fall into the same category as like because i i know people that like they really do seem to just have like not like much fear like whatever there's something about them where fear is not like a, a like an important like element of them you know that so they like or for whatever reason or or maybe it's just the specific things that i've seen them do but like I ha- yeah, I have to do the same like master your fears thing, which is so much more difficult. But you know, maybe in a way that might be re- more rewarding. 
you know, <laughs> like having yeah, well, it's more dimension to the experience. Like if you, if you're not afraid when you're like going into the mountains alone, you either don't know shit about the mountains or like <laughs> you are a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I, I know that I, that I jumped ahead on that because I, I want to go back to, you know, cause we were talking like to the very beginning again, we were kind of got off on a little bit of track about like mastering fear and, you know, doing this solo, which is like the scariest way to do it. But uh, just talking about like in the very beginning. So like when you were first uh, down, in, like at the border with Mexico, like those first kind of the first couple of weeks, was that kind of like an, an like an adjustment phase for you? Like, was there like a whole like I, now, you know, and I'm not in Sacramento. I'm, I'm on this trail and this is where I live now, essentially. Was there like oh. kind of like a thing where you're in your mind, you were like clicking into this like day by day or does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. And, and from a couple of different angles, um, uh, it, like I said, I'd never been backpacking before. I was also entirely deconditioned. So I was like, because, you know, I went from, you know, not doing anything. I was like almost completely sedentary. And then I was like, I'm going to go walk from Mexico to Canada. And so I, I had to start out really slow. Like I was doing like, I think I did five miles my first day. And then, you know, I was averaging about 10 for a while and then kind of stepped it up to 12, 15, 20, and then beyond. But um, so there was a big physical transition and I, I really couldn't push myself beyond that. I needed to spend a lot of time recovering. One of the weird brain things uh, that was very impactful for me was that um, I, I, my brain wouldn't my autonomic nervous system wasn't telling my body to do the normal things like um like when you stand up the all the capillaries in your legs um all the blood vessels will restrict and then that drives blood up to your brain when you're standing in order mm -hmm. to combat gravity and mine just wouldn't do that and so i'd go from a resting heart rate when i was laying down at about like 53 uh stand up my heart rate would go to 120 or 130 uh, just as my heart was like beating super hard to try to drive that blood up um, my, uh, I wouldn't breathe if I wasn't thinking about it. So like, if I stopped thinking about breathing, my breaths would kind of, you know, cascade down until I would notice that I wasn't breathing. And then I would like resume breathing, which was really problematic at night. Cause you're not conscious. And like, I did a sleep study and I, I would stop breathing like 13 times a night, uh, or 13 times an hour. Sorry. Um, so every hour, 13 times I would stop breathing. So it was, um, uh, sleep apnea, uh, but not obstructive, you know, like I, I didn't snore, you know, a lot of usually your people that have sleep apnea tend to be a little bit overweight, you know, like you have, um, you just have a hard time getting air past like a physical blockage. But uh, my brain was just like, let's not tell him to keep breathing when he's not thinking about it. So, um, so then I just gasped and wake up. So I was constantly fatigued, had none of that stuff. Um, and so in especially in the beginning, like I needed to spend like 12 hours per night, in my tent, just like laying down, trying to recover for the next day. And anytime that I linked up with a group or something, uh, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be doing that anymore. It'd be cut down because I'd be socializing and like trying to like do the group thing. And then I'd only spend like eight hours a night. And then I'd start just plowing into the ground as far as like getting exhausted. And so, um, so yeah, so that's like, that was like the physical part. That was all freaking crazy. And then um, uh, from the um, the psychological, like where I live part, uh, that was also like, I, I moved out in order to be able to afford the trail. I moved out of the house that I'd been living in. I stored all of my stuff in my uh, family's 
Uh, I uh, spent my next six months forward, uh, all of that money I spent on gear. And so I was, I was on the trail. Like I had nowhere to go back to, um, which kind of interplayed with the whole COVID thing. Cause that blew up maybe like three weeks or something, two or three weeks after I got on trail. And so um, I remember I was in the middle of the mountains and I came back down to where there was service and my phone just like blew up with text messages where people were like, the world is basically ending right now. Oh yeah, dude. So yeah. Oh, that's crazy. So you were like out of touch when the, oh, I was like, when way it all pops off. Cause oh, so, so yeah. Cause you said you started in like April of uh, 2020, March right? 10th, March 10th. March 10th yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That's, that's insane, man. It was oh, crazy. It was like I came back and like society was melting. <laughs> but, um, but hey, man, like what a what a safe place to be, man, up in the mountains oh, by yourself. Seriously, yeah. Especially like, when they were like, yeah, there was like, yeah, there's like pretty much like no way you could have gotten sick. I mean, except I guess you said you occasionally were with other groups, but still, right. those would have been isolated people as well. It's not like you were going to like Six Flags. <laughs> no, no. I, ironically, I think I had like the least contact with people throughout that entire period. And um, which got really bizarre because um, the uh, the PCTA, which is the um, administration that kind of governs the, the trail, they don't have any actual power. They're like a nonprofit that like organizes the trail. The trail actually belongs to the U.S. Forest Service. And um, and so they they told everybody to get off the trail. They're like, you know, you guys need to go home. Uh, you know, that's our official stance in California. Like, you know, get off of the trail. And, um, and I, I was like super committed to this whole experience from, you're like, this is my home. <laughs> yeah, this is my home. No, like literally, like there was actually, there's a, there are provisos in all of the mandates for, you know, staying shelter in place that, you know, uh, reference being homeless. And I was actually very homeless. The trail was my home for that whole period anyway. Um, and the U S Forest service kept the trail open that entire period. So I was, I was on the trail. I was like, uh, I, I, I was super careful when I went to the towns. Like I, uh, wore a mask. All I did was go into the post office, picks up a box that had all my food in it and then leave the town. Anytime that I did spend money in town, they were like super thankful because all of the tourism and stuff that these little towns uh, rely on had completely evaporated for that entire summer. Oh yeah. And, Cause I uh, bet like, yeah, some people like that might've, uh, that might've had like, were planning on going and hiking, like maybe some section of that trail were like, Oh no, I'm just going to stay home and do nothing or whatever. Yeah. Well, and online, it was super toxic. Everybody was like, you need to stay home and, and, and all this stuff. And um, so I disconnected from the internet. Like I, before that I had been participating on like Reddit and Facebook and stuff like that. I didn't start posting my whole thing on Instagram until earlier this year after the, like my asthma of hate had like dissipated off of the internet for a little while. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was crazy, but uh, so many people, like the, I'd say there were like a handful of us on the trail for this whole thing. Usually there are like thousands of people hiking the PCT, but um, the entire time that I was in Yosemite, there was literally no one else there. It was like, it was like a, it was like a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Like it was, it was crazy looking all the buildings. That is awesome. You got to, you got to feel like you were the only man on earth for a while, right? Literally. Like it was, it, it was a once in a lifetime experience. Honestly, it was, it was crazy. It was, and, and the wilderness experience that I wanted. Cause, um, I, uh, I was a little, that was the only thing I was worried about, or well, it was one of the main things I was worried about on the trail was having it be too incredibly packed with people having to like run and compete to try to get campsites and stuff, which you hear about in like normal years. And, uh, and it wasn't that like, there was just, nobody out there and I went really early so I think through all of like the Sierra all of that stuff like it was completely snowed in I think 
usually there were about five people that were ahead of me on the trail and then that was it and we were all spread out by like miles and miles so you you were literally alone for I think I think I was alone for seven days was the longest where I didn't see another human being just like out wandering in the middle of the uh in the wilderness that's sick man I so I've never gotten to make it seven days without seeing another human being but I I did a I was solo camping once I was on an island and it was like a it's not like a it is it's, it had no there's nothing on it there's no houses or businesses or anything it's just a it's just a piece you know it's just a little piece of land so it's okay so if you go camp there you're basically the only you know i know i wasn't the only person on the island but as far as like it mattered like i wasn't mm-hmm. like the section that i had chose and the beach where i was at there's no other people and i totally like that what you're saying like i totally get that like that cool ass feeling where i was like dude i'm the only i'm the only dude in the world you know like but i started doing like weird stuff like i was like doing like kung fu by myself in the woods and shit it was but you know it's just fun man i was just like it was more more of a tai chi kind of thing just you know like yeah just kind of getting the the motions in uh minute i don't want to like circle it back to like you know we were just talking about like mastering your fears all that stuff but you know that there was no way i was going to be able to go through this interview without asking this question man which is basically and I'm sure there might've been more than one moment that was like maybe a little spooky or scary, but I was going to say like, uh, like once again, I know this is a difficult to narrow it down because there's gotta be more than one instance, but what is like the scariest, uh, like moment that happened on the trail? Sure. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you two that are a little bit different. Um, so one that was like really scary and, uh, this was probably mile, like 500 or so, um, where I was still getting used to being around like crazy wildlife. <laughs> um, uh, that that's a section that you're, is really known for mountain lions. And so oh, I was, I, I was like keyed up about mountain lions for a while there. Um, you know, bears generally run away from you. Mountain lions will also run away from you, but they also do sometimes eat people. And so uh, like I, uh, you're, you're hiking all these like really kind of barren mountains through, throughout that section where, um, you're up on these big ridge lines and, um, uh, everyone. And then there was this one night where, um, I had slept, uh, I, I slept during the middle of the day or whatever. It took like a nice siesta, like underneath a tree next to a, a little babbling Creek. It was amazing. Hike up into these mountains and it's later. Um, it's, I spent later resting than I wanted to. So I wanted to get more miles in. So you're, I'm hiking into dusk and that's the time when the cats are like the most active. And so, uh, and I can, all of my, uh, the hairs on my head are uh, all over my body were standing on end. Um, I was seeing a uh, big mountain lion, uh, uh, tracks crossing the trail like oh. there there were signs of them everywhere anyway um i had i stopped and camped and um it was it was really it was a beautiful evening um i was set up in my little tent i had uh, i ate a ton of uh, dried meat like i was just getting my protein in or whatever and um i was laying there eating it uh, i had an audiobook on um you know i was just kind of like minding my own business wasn't paying attention and then like something something inside of me just like clicked on to red alert and I was like uh, there you know something is wrong and I was looking around and I couldn't figure it out but um before I'd been listening to you know it was like bird sounds insects dead quiet it just all went like completely silent and I was like what something is wrong and then I hear these these footsteps just like heavy like a big animal uh but quicker than like a human and they come up and they go all the way around my tent and they circle my tent like several times. Holy and, shit, um, dude. 
So yeah. wait, so they I didn't I, I, they like hunting packs like wolves? No, I, I'm I'm pretty sure it was just one, but oh, just um, one gnarly. But, yeah. uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, just one like gnarly fucking lion that was that came out, smelled the meat, circled my tent like several times. And then, and I'm, I'm sitting there with, I had like a pocket knife or whatever. I was just like sitting there with my pocket knife, like, you know, holy shit. And, um, and then, uh, yeah. And then, you know, he, he left. They don't often try to get into tents, which I read about, you know, immediately after that, because yeah. <laughs> I was frantically Googling, you know, will a mountain lion attack a tent? And, uh, yeah. And then, then he wandered off, but that, that like set my hair on end. Um, I had a, a couple of interesting wildlife experiences like that, but that one, especially because it was so early in the trail and I was still pretty freaked out about everything. Um, that one really kind of got me. And then um, I, I had uh, another moment when I was in the, the high Sierra, I think it was on uh, the backside of, um, it was on the backside of one of the smaller passes, like silver or something. Um, so you, you do these big pass ascents, you know, like usually really early in the morning and you have to come down the other side and um, hiking in the Sierra, it's all about, uh, timing because you the you're trying to walk on top of the snow before it starts to melt because post holing is the worst thing in the world like it is just awful and um and so you have to get the pass over like as early as possible when we did like the biggest passes like forester you know it's like three o'clock in the morning you're out of the tent you're walking because um, by the time it gets to be like nine or ten then you start falling through the snow and it just obliterates your legs like it's just horrible and so um so anyway we uh, and I was with a little group at this point. I, I I can tell you why in a little bit, but I um, I chose to go with the group for the highest mountains because they're the most dangerous and, and everything else. And um, anyway, I was trying to come down the the backside of this pass before it got too um, murderously post holy, but I was already breaking through the snow, and um, I knew the pa- the trail was right down in front of me. And so how, I kind how, of how, how deep does your uh, like when you when you're post holy? How deep does your leg fall into the snow? Uh, it depends on where you are. Like, um, I, I was in, there were a couple of different things. Like I, I think the deepest I fell into snow was probably about chest high. Holy uh, shit. That's like terrifying, dude. Like that yeah, alone. Was, is a- <laughs> dude. Uh, okay. Brief segue, but going up Donahue, that was my worst climb. Um, it, it was just miserable, awful. And the, the snow was, um, like really awful. It had rained the previous night and, um, and it was warm and I kept falling through the snow. And then, um, that trek going up, I would fall through the crust and you never know when you're going to fall. That's like the most terrifying, like traumatic part of this is you can never tell which step is going to give way anyway, but going up Donahue, I fell not only through the snow crust, but into water beneath, like I would fall into streams through the snow and I couldn't tell that I was going to fall or that, that there was a stream there. So I just suddenly be up to my waist in water. And like, it was, it was awful. Cause you also, you, there are these huge streams that go through there too, that uh, you can hear like thrumming the snowpack and those ones are deep and you fall in that, it carries you under the ice. You're just, you're done. And so, so falling through the, the, uh, the snow crust into water, uh, multiple times, I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to go <laughs> under the ice and it's awful. But then, yeah. then you kind of like, it's kind of like floundering in the, uh, in the, sh- the shallow end of a pool. And then you're like, Oh wait, I can stand up. And, uh, and so, you know, I never really went in, uh, to those be- below maybe my, you know, waist or so, but it was, uh, it was terrifying. Dude, um, uh, Brandon, I mean, I, I have like a kind of like a, a baby experience version of what you're uh, talking about, but like just to like uh, illustrate like how, like what, you know, what you were doing, like how gnarly and scary that shit really is. Cause what I was doing, like 
I really was in no danger because I was uh, I was snowboarding. So like, even if even if like I really could never have gotten myself back out, like a you know, they would have sent a ranger would have came and got me. Like, somebody would have come and got me eventually. People saw me and they saw what had happened. But I was snowboarding and just like I don't even know how it happened, man. But I fucked up and like went like just flying, dude, into this snowbank that was so deep. And somehow the only parts of me that were, uh, so my head was above the snow so I could breathe. And the yeah. only other thing above the snow was just the, my feet in the snowboard and they yeah. were under the snow. And I like, and I was like immobile. And for some reason I couldn't like, I couldn't, cause every time I tried to like maneuver or get out, I just got more stuck in the snow. And then I started to like panic, you know? Yeah. And I was like, ah! and actually the, I think the panic is what finally got, got me out of the bank because I was, I literally started having like, convulsions because i was like because <laughs> I, I thought i was it's, it was almost like probably what people feel like when they go into quicksand I'll, you know i know it's not nearly as deadly but i was like oh, i can't die <laughs> you know <and> so <laughs> but it's you know that's just your like that's your your amygdala you know like that's like that uh ancient part of your brain you know you're not in control of that situation like you know i was just in a snowbank but like my amygdala was like no you're dead you're going to die if you don't <laughs> and have a complete meltdown and get out of this bank so uh sorry to interrupt and go on that tangent but i just want to say like i know the feeling of falling into deep snow and it's it is scary man it's like it it's uh claustrophobic it, it is very claustrophobic and um and that kind of segues back into where i was going with that story because um i knew i was up on the top of this ridge and i knew the trail was be below me and i post hold my way all the way up this thing because uh, like throughout the entire trail like I was really dedicated to staying on the trail as much as possible but um, once it's completely covered in snow like the the high passes and stuff usually you're just trying to find the safest way to get you know vaguely towards where you're going and so I knew the trail was below me crested this ridge and instead of you know a, a, a slopey snowy um, you know downhill, uh, it was just a straight rock cliff. And uh, and I, I I've done quite a bit of climbing before, and so um, I either had to turn around and post hole my way back all the way around this this whole ridge, or go down the cliff. And I was 100% about going down that cliff. <laughs> and so I I, I down climbed this thing, and um, no uh, gear, was, like no way to like tie in or anything. <laughs> no. So, uh, so just free climbing down a cliff. Yeah, yeah. of course. Uh, and which it was, it was pretty cool. It, it was there were handholds everywhere, and That's so it wasn't it wasn't like super gnarly. The it's like chunky rock instead of that smooth kind of like you know just have to use your fingers rock. And um, but at one point uh, there was a shoot, and um, and so I was uh, friction. I was holding both sides with my um, hands and my knees. And you know, doing the slow wiggle down this vertical face, and um, and that was fine. Like I've done that plenty of times before. Uh, the the thing that I hadn't really anticipated was the fact that my backpack was a little bit wider than my body. So I got to a certain point, and my backpack got caught, and it hung up behind me, oh, and shit. so I was stuck, friction holding myself in the middle of this chute, and and my backpack was completely locked in, and I couldn't go anywhere, and I just. That, that hit my panic switch. And I was just like, I had probably like 10 or 15 seconds of just being like, <laughs> everything is fucked and I'm going to die. <laughs> and because it was still like, I was looking down at like a significant fall, like, you know, at least 20 feet or whatever onto like rocks. And, um, but there was like a snowbank a little bit in front of that. And so 
um, I managed to unclip all of the harnesses on my uh, that were holding me into my backpack because you have like a chest strap and like a waist belt. And then I was able to get it to twist under me. And then I just flung it out into the snowbank, um, which I had already like thrown my trekking poles down into from the top. And then, um, and then I was able to turn around and then properly finish down climbing it. But, um, but yeah, that, that's, uh, that definitely, that was one of the ones where I, it takes a lot to get me to like do that absolute panic, but I was like, I'm going to die. <laughs> and, Dude. First of all, I want to say those are both scary ass, uh, moments, but I do, I, I, I vibe with what you're saying, man, with like, cause you know, like obviously man, a predatory animal is terrifying and you're going to be scared, but it, it, it is something weird, especially with people that do have like, like me, for instance, I don't know, maybe obviously you, you have it a little bit too, that claustrophobia yeah. where there's something about like, you know, if you're stuck in a crevice <laughs> or maybe like stuck in a cave, something like that, that is that is the shit that you're, it's, it is. There is a panic switch because yeah. it's like your mind is like just you do. That's when you do lose the, that control of like, oh, I, I master my fears because your mind is like you're trapped in a crevice, yeah. or a, you know, like, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I love adventure stuff. One thing that I have never done is spelunking, like, which I love caves. Like, I'll go like wander around a cave, but anything where it requires me to wiggle through a crack that I could get stuck in like that, that would be like, I, I might do that at some point, but that, that would be like ultimate master your fear kind of stuff. Cause that, that creeps me out so much when you have to like deflate your chest in order to like go through a crevice. Like that, that, that's like, that's one of my, like, whew. I agree 100% man. Spelunking is, and no offense to people that listen to this, that do go spelunking is obviously it's super cool caves are super cool and honestly I, i'm jealous that uh you can you can do that and it doesn't freak you out but for me like, like just like you said i don't i like to go walk around in a cave like that's fun but exactly like for real spelunking uh trying to like wiggle through tiny spaces to get into a tinier space and just going deeper and deeper i don't i have no uh no desire to do it man it's like i was like i, I won't have any fun i don't think i would think i would just be bummed the entire time <laughs> all, I, all i'll be able to think about is like when do we get out of this cave so. <laughs> hold up it's time to check the mailbag every week on the show we check the mailbag to see if anyone has written a message into the show and then we read that message out loud this week's message comes from enderson enderson wrote <clears throat> welcome to the illuminati brotherhood world organization this is an open invitation for you to become part of the world's biggest conglomerate and reach the peak of your career by making you rich and famous in all you do. You may be a musician, politician, footballer, actor, actress, self-employed, student, etc. If you are interested in message me for more information, follow the light today and live your dreams. Well... Well, 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 if it isn't Mercury Retrograde, old Illuminati comes crawling back to my door after Instagram says I'm not even good enough for a blue check mark, but I guess I'm good enough for the Illuminati. <sighs> Thanks for running the show, Anderson. And now back to the interview. I did want to ask this too, because like this is kind of goes back to the question I asked you uh, when you were like in the very, when you know, when you first started out you were going through that adjustment phase and like, you were obviously you were saying you were still dealing with a lot of like the, the TBI recovery, uh, having to deal with, uh, 
you know, breath work and, uh, and just getting your body accustomed to like constant travel, all that stuff. But I, you know, I imagine as time went by, you got more and more conditioned and, you know, mentally and physically. So, uh, the real, the question I have is, was there a specific point between Mexico and Canada where things clicked for you, uh, that for you, like for you, where you were like, well, this is just normal life now. And, and things started to flow more naturally. Does that make sense? Where like, you were like, this is, this became a, this became your new normal. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think I was, uh, there and not there for a significant part of the trail. Um, it definitely, you fall into a rhythm, which is actually really kind of wonderful. Um, people who come off of one of these trail experiences, uh, usually get depressed because you're back in modern life, which is like insane. And on the trail, everything is, is simple. Like you, you have your resupply, you have everything you need to continue surviving on your back. You're walking, you know, hours and hours and hours every day. And, um, and there's a rhythm to it. You know, you go to sleep with the, the sun, you wake back up, you continue hiking. It's really kind of like smooth and kind of carries you forward. And so um, you do develop that kind of rhythm where it is, uh, this is your whole life now. And, um, and I, I, don't, I don't know exactly when that clicked for me. It was probably pretty early, um, but, um, it, and that was awesome. Uh, on the other hand, it is miserable <laughs> the entire time physically on various different levels. And, um, and so that kind of, it never, it never felt easy. Like for me, for like pretty much the entire time I'd have, I'd have sporadic days that felt really good, but most of the time my legs and feet were completely dying in a new spot. And it, it kind of rotated around. Like first my ankles were completely just shot in the beginning. Cause you're always on a little bit of a tilt. The trails always tilted a little bit one way or the other, which you're not prepared for, for normal life. So it went from my ankles, um, the, then the Achilles tendons blew up, um, the extensor tendons on the top of your foot, um, those blew up. I, I had crepsis, which was really weird where you have, um, a bunch of inflammation in the tendons to where when you move your toes, it creaks, it makes like an audible creaking sound. That's like, Oh super no, creaky. dude. Yeah. <laughs> And then um, I had, uh, it moved into the bottoms of my feet, like the plantar fascia got really messed up. And then um, in, in Oregon, um, I had uh, shin splints. I had heard about kids having shin splints when I was in like, you know, the, the runners and stuff. When I was in middle school, all I had shin splints and I was like, didn't know what they were complaining about. Those are miserable. Like they are just absolute misery, especially because you're supposed to like stop moving in order to let them rest and recover. Yeah. And I couldn't do that. You don't have that option. So I was just walking. Like uh, tape your legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, what I did was um, I had sock liners uh, that I would wear, and so I sewed two sock liners together. So I had like a long strip of stretchy sock stuff, and then I just bound that around my my legs, starting from a little bit above the ankle up. Um, onto my uh, calf and then um, and then tuck that into my hiking sock and and my leg and uh, kind of tied it all together and kept going and that was like that was my it, it kind of it, it makes like a little compression uh, to help protect the tendons as they're sliding and, uh, and then just kept hiking on it for the next thousand miles so <laughs> yeah Dude, oh that's that's so, that sounds so painful and I guess for anyone that doesn't know what you know shin splints that's when uh, when your muscles start to separate from your shin bone basically so like so it is excruciating and so obviously trying to continue hiking thousands of miles while your muscles are separating from your shin bone is like <laughs> that's a uh, that's a supreme act of will man that's pretty tight yeah i was i was pretty convinced it got more you know willy as i went along um the last section in in washington was just 
insane there. Um, I was completely trapped in the smoke. Um, I had stayed ahead of the wildfires by about two weeks or so for all the way up until um, when I got into Washington. Um, and then some stuff happened that kept me off trail for, for about two weeks. And then I came back in and all the wildfires had caught up. And so I didn't even uh, realize uh, timing wise, you would have you would have been right there in the wildfires. So you would have been having to breathe that smoke while trying to maintain that oh, yeah. pace. Big 3,000, 4,000 foot climbs with a tripled over um, buff that I had wetted around my um, face. And and I was, I, I'm sure I, I probably came out with like black ass lungs. Like I, I probably, my lungs are probably like a smoker's lungs or they they were at least for a little while. But it, it was it was it was gnarly going through Washington. Like you're looking out over, um a cliff and it go your vision goes about 20 feet you know like there, crazy, you can see dude. like ghostly images of trees that are like literally 10 or 15 feet away from you um, do you feel like there were like was almost points where you could have gotten asphyxiated from uh oh so yeah i mean like there was always a degree of uh of, of oxygen because you're you're not trapped in a room you know where it the like in a house fire like the uh, fire sucks all the oxygen out and then you know you have all that smoke come in and then there's literally no remaining air to breathe the this like there was there was enough oxygen but at the same time uh, there was so much particulate like raw particulate this is the period where they were measuring like 1200 aqis in portland and like stuff like that um that you're you're literally you're breathing in so much uh, just actual particles of, of wildfire smoke that um it, it, your throat burns um, I had ash literally raining on my tent at night. That's like so I'd wake crazy. up in the morning and there'd be like a caking of ash, like on my tent. And, um, and yeah, so it was, it was like super gnarly. So it was basically like, like equivalent to like, uh, chain smoking, uh, <laughs> like filterless cigarettes while climbing a mountain at the same <laughs> time for like weeks at yes. a time. Right. That's, oh, that's awful, dude. <laughs> yeah, it, it was awful. Um, yeah, yeah, it was crazy. I definitely had some, uh, some extreme, uh, uh, intensity, especially in the, the later half of the, uh, the journey. Um, uh, I had probably, uh, I think, I think the, my low point on the PCT, or at least the only point that I actually had the thought that like, I kind of wished I could just go home, uh, was in the middle of Oregon. And, um, and uh, like Oregon was just, it was, it was nuts. I, I thought Oregon was going to be like a, you know, beautiful, like oasis of trees and all green. That's like the image I have in my mind of Oregon. Cause I've spent a bunch of time on the Oregon coast. Inland Oregon, especially Southern Oregon is just a nightmare. It is a volcanic wasteland. It is super dry. Um, California, you have a bunch of trail towns. So, you know, every few days you're, you're passing into a town that you could, you know, if you're just exhausted, you can get a motel room and like spend the night or there are grocery stores, stuff like that. Um, there's none of that in Oregon. And so, and after I came out of the Sierra, I really started having to pay attention to the amount of time that I had remaining. So, um, cause you have a certain amount of miles per day, you have to make it to Canada. Um, if you're going to stay ahead of the storms that just shut the North Cascades down, like as far as things that can end your trip, um, those big North Cascade blizzards, like eventually they just, they cut people out. You just cannot finish because the weather gets so bad. And so I knew I had to get up there by, you know, early September, hopefully mid September at the latest. And so there were a certain number of miles per day I had to hit in order to make that. And so, um, going through, uh, Southern Oregon, I was 
was at that point where I was like, I got to hit 20 miles like every day. And so I was grinding through these 20 mile days, did like three weeks of those, um, no trail towns, nowhere to rest, didn't take any zeros. Um, I was just like grinding the rocks and everything were just miserable because anytime you're walking on like lava rocks that there's no dirt on the trail, it just tears your feet up. Um, I, uh, I was completely tired of the mosquitoes by that point. Like they just, they just do not let up through that whole section. And, um, there was this one morning I was by this lake called Brahmin Lake, which I will never forget. Most of the lake names and stuff just blur together. But, um, but I was, I was like, I was super frustrated. Like I was really uncomfortable. Uh, my shins had just exploded maybe like a week before that. So I my, I was like in a ton of pain. Uh, I went out to go to the bathroom in the morning and um, like, you know, number two, you know, like you're, you got to take the pants down kind of bathroom. Yeah. Mosquitoes just swarmed all over my exposed everything. And like, yeah. I was, oh, I was like, I hate this so much. I have to get out of the wilderness right now. And so um, people on the PCT do a, uh, a challenge where they try to stay awake for 24 hours and hike as far as they can. And, um, and I'd always kind of been interested in doing that, uh, especially because I was, you know, starting to recover and I, I wanted to make a point of the fact that I was like not falling apart. <clears throat> and so, um, so anyway, so that was, that was like, this is my time. I'm just going to like hike until I make it to uh, Sisters, Oregon was the, the next upcoming town, which was 67 miles away. And, and I, I was like, I, I felt like I could probably do it in, in 24 hours. If I pushed myself, a lot of the people that I knew were hitting about the 60 mile range. And, um, and I was like, I'm just going to make it like there, there's nothing that's going to stop me. And so, so anyway, so I start hiking and, um, and I didn't know, but between me and sisters, there were these huge lava fields of just absolutely awful, barren, horrible rock that just like tears your feet up. And so uh, that turned into a, instead of 24 hours, it took me 32 hours of straight hiking without like stopping for like a nap or anything. Uh, just eating food and hiking 32 hours before I made it to, uh, to sisters. And then, uh, and so, so that that's intense, but this, this, this gets more intense. <laughs> so so I, get, I, um, I, I finally make it to sister uh, to the, the exit to get there, uh, sleep in my tent. I, by doing all of that uh, work up front, I've carved myself out enough time for two zeros where I could just go into a hotel room, shut down, completely rest thing get back to my baseline kind of recenter and so i go into sisters the next morning um get a hotel room which was a little bit of a fiasco get into the hotel <laughs> uh, made sure that i have a, a, a tub that i can soak in because that was like that was like my thing like if i if i had a you know like a bathtub and i could actually soak and so i like draw a bath i get into the bath and then my phone rings and um, I hadn't, uh, I, it was my uncle who I hadn't talked to in like 10 years. And I was like, oh crap. And so he, that, he that's when he told me that my dad had just died and uh, who, I, who I hadn't seen for like quite a while. And so, and I'm his, I'm an only child. I'm his only heir. Um, and he, so I, instead, of, that was like the moment that I had just started to unfold into relaxation and said, I have to spend the next two days, my two zeros, you know, organizing to have, you know, uh, release of authorization for cremation, like trying to deal with all of the technical stuff that comes around with, you know, dealing with somebody's death and then planning how I'm going to get out of the middle of nowhere to like 
get over to Idaho where he lived in order to like settle his estate and like not to mention processing all of the intense feelings that go associated with with that whole thing because yeah we we weren't like super close he was a really big influence on my life he was also an alcoholic and like um we we hadn't been talking very much for a number of years but um but it, that doesn't make it any less hard or complex when you know they pass or whatever and so so yeah so so I just was that whole section I just got like pounded like over and over again and uh and then yeah so then I had to I went from there hiked uh three like 32 mile days to get up to my friend uh Sean's house in Oregon um he was he was really chill he let me throw all my stuff there I stayed with him for like a day or two then rented a car drove to Idaho settled my dad's estate you know went through all of his stuff uh, that, that whole, you know, process, you know, took, uh, it took me like a week and a half or two weeks, made it back to Oregon and then, uh, resumed the trail with some of my dad's ashes, which I was going to take up to Mount Rainier. That, that was his, uh, uh, his namesake, his middle name. And, um, and, and as I'm trying to process having that whole loss and, and, and everything else, um, plus getting back on the trail, anytime you get off the trail, getting back on just is absolutely miserable. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, that first couple of days, especially when you, you loaded your pack down. So I had like a full pack, I put on probably 10 pounds of weight, which I needed anyway, but my, it just blows up all your joints and everything. So, uh, and then that was the kind of like, there was a pall that hung over the, the last section. Cause that was Northern Oregon. So um, uh, there was a, like, I had all this like crazy amount of like grief and like stress. And then that's when I, the fires moved past me while I was off trail trying to deal with all this stuff. So there was literally like a pall of smoke, like the entire atmosphere was clouded down in gray, which kind of reflected my whole like emotional turmoil and everything else. It was all very symbolic. It was, it was kind of an interesting experience. Yeah, man. Dude. That's one of the gnarliest fucking stories I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, I, I can't even imagine like the whole, like, especially after like, I mean, like taking yourself to that level of exhaustion, yeah. like, and then to like the, one of the most peak levels of like, uh, you know, emotional, uh, like uh, grief and all, all the other kind of feelings that come with these kind of things. And then having to like, like suddenly like you have these responsibilities you have to be like you've been in the wood in the wilderness now you're in a car you're yeah. trying to fucking idaho <laughs> probably I'm, I'm assuming like maybe some lawyers because you're like i guess you have to execute the will or whatever like oh, and then it's like you go back into a burned down forest <laughs> <laughs> oh my god man yeah. oh dude well shit man i hope you don't mind if i if i kind of turn the corner a little bit and ask so since we, we kind of like I was going to ask you about like, maybe like, you know, some of the more miserable experiences. Cause I know it can get so miserable out there, man. I didn't realize you were going to tell me something quite that gnarly, but uh, <laughs> I, I was, I did want to ask this too, as well though. Like, cause you know, I'm sure there were days like this and, uh, and I know it's also, it's one of the, one of the same kind of questions where I know, like you must've had so many experiences. So it's silly for me to ask you just to single out one day, but I was going to ask, I was going to ask it that way anyway, and say that, can you single out a day on the trail where you felt like, uh, like this is the greatest day, like where you were out there and you were like, this is the reason I'm here. Like, this is the greatest day or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually I had a, a, a day in mind. It was, it was actually pro coming up on, on Instagram. I'm like almost there. 
um, which was in the middle of the Sierra. Um, I had kind of a dramatic parting from uh, the group that I did. The uh, I did the highest passes with a little group, but uh, we ended up splitting ways in um, uh, Mammoth Lakes. So I did the the last like major pass on my own, which was Donahue, where I was falling through the snow into the uh, ice water and all that kind of stuff, which was pretty crazy. Um, and I came down the other side and did Yosemite. And um, I was still ruminating quite a bit for a little while there. But I, anytime that I parted with a group, like it took me a couple of days to kind of regain my own rhythm, um, you know, when you're alone and everything else. But then that, you know, the, the Tai Chi in the middle of nowhere side comes out where, you know, you're getting a little bit silly and wild and like it's actually pretty fun. Yeah. And so for me, um, there was a day maybe like three days or so into Yosemite where um, where I just I felt really good. like I. Um, the, um, I had no weight in my pack. I guess, I guess this story actually takes a, a, a little bit of a preface story too, um, which was a story I wanted to tell anyway, but the, um, when I came down into Yosemite, uh, there was a, a post office in, uh, Tuolumne Meadows. Uh, and so I was going post office to post office, collecting my resupply packages, which had all my food in them. And, um, I had a great friend, uh, Shelby, who was, uh, helping to send me these packages. And so, when I was uh, prepping for the section, I was like, you have to call Yosemite's uh, post office in Tuolumne Meadows and make sure that they're open because everything's super messed up right now. And she was like, okay, I got it. And so when she called, um, uh, the dude picked up the phone and she was like, are you guys open? He's like, yeah, of course, we're always open. And so she was like, okay. And so she sent the the post, uh, the, uh, my resupply package there. But it turns out that uh, Yosemite Valley post office and Tuolumne Meadows post office are like like significantly far apart, but run in the same office by the same dude. And so he didn't know she was talking about the Tuolumne Meadows. Anyway, she sent my package to Tuolumne. There was nothing there. Like it was, it was literally looked like a post-apocalyptic building. There was no roof. There were, <laughs> you know, weeds growing in the middle of it. My resupply box was supposed to be sitting like in the middle of this thing. There was nothing there. There weren't any stores. You couldn't buy food. There was like, literally, I was in this basin uh, surrounded by mountains with nothing in it. I could have hiked, I think it would have been like 20 or 30 miles off trail to get to a town where I could resupply. But um, but that would have cost me multiple days of travel off trail and everything. And, and so, um, my other option, instead of like hiking out to try to get food was to just press on to Sonora pass, which was, it was, I think it was about four days. I think it was like, it was, it was close to hundred miles, uh, like 80 something miles. Um, and, and just not have any food during that section, uh, which I could kind of manage because I had a Tenkara fishing pole, like a little three and a half ounce uh, fixed line fly fishing rod. And I was catching a ton of fish. Like I was, I was feeding my whole group with fish um, just as a supplement. You know, I, I think I was catching, I was catching just a ridiculous number of fish during that period. And, um, and so I was like, I was like, I'll just stay really light, really fast. I'll catch a bunch of fish. I'll make it to Sonora Pass. And, and then I'll like, you know, get completely resupplied. And, um, and so, uh, so anyway, so my, when your pack is super light, it feels like you're flying, like, yeah. cause you, you're used <laughs> to having 45 pounds in this year. I was, I had these crazy long stretches. I was at like 45 or 50 pounds in my pack. I'm wearing an ultralight uh, pack that rides good well at like 25 pounds. So I'm super overweight. Anyway, during this period, my pack was down to its base weight of like 12 pounds. And then um, I was catching fish, you know, in the evening and then kind of like floating through the days. I was pretty hungry, but 
Um, but I had one day in the middle of that, that was just beautiful. I had like virtually no weight on my back. Like um, I, uh, I went back and forth between listening to music, but that particular day I was listening to some really good music and um, I was thinking about a, a fiction story that I'd been wanting to write. And so I was fall, falling into this creative zone while I was hiking with a good beat. And I was going, doing these really good climbs. If you're in the middle of a really good climb, it feels like amazing. The, the weather, it was just barely snowing. So, and that's like my perfect temperature for hiking because I get really hot. And so I was just kind of flowing through this beautiful day with all these like clouds and beautiful light. And my pack was light and, um, I was, it was like wild adventure. I had no food. So I was like amped on the, you know, adventure elements of the whole thing. And um, I caught a fish with my bare hand that day. Oh, hell yeah, dude. <laughs> I, uh, I think I saw the photo of that. Yeah, it, it probably did. And um, I caught the biggest fish that I caught on trail. I caught like a, you know, like a 15 inch uh, rainbow trout. I had the, some of the best fishing that night. I came down to this um, creek where um, it, it was actually, in Yosemite, you actually get some like wide kind of like, you know, moderate root moving water. Most of the rest of it's just like white coming down these like, you know, straight mountains. But it was this beautiful creek that had broadened out to maybe like 30 or 40 feet. And I walked out onto this log. I was like really big, hefty log that was really stable. And I could see where all the trout were because you're, you're sight fishing most of the time. And so I was um, casting my, and I was using underwater uh, flies called nymphs. So I was casting out ahead of these trout and I was just twitching my nymph down, trying to entice them. And, and I, I was sighted on this really big trout and it, um, it just came up from the bottom and just smashed my line. And like, I, it, it was, it was an amazing experience. I, I caught four like beautiful trout that way. I, I was like splashing around in the water and like went and cooked them. And then like, they were just tasted amazing. Cause nothing tastes better than when you have no food and you've been exercising for forever. Yeah, was, for sure, man. Yeah. But like, that was like yeah. a feast, dude. Yeah. Like it was, it was amazing. And uh, anyway, that, that was, that was my, uh, I had a crazy bear experience that night. No way. Um, what, what kind of bear yeah, was it? Uh, big brown bear. Uh, they um, are big black brown bear. I, I only saw crimson black bears that were completely brown the entire time that I was on the trail. So I saw lots of black bears, but they were never actually black, which was very confusing. Um, this was, but, those are the more mellow bears, right? Uh, they're smaller. Uh, they, it's actually, it's ironic because, um, uh, grizzlies, the, the big ones, uh, they, they will, they'll mess you up. Uh, but it's usually more of like a, like a territorial thing. They'll like knock you down. And then that's where you play dead. And like, you're okay sometimes. Cause they're like, yeah, you're not a threat anymore. And then they like wander off. Yeah. Um, black bears don't, they'll like, they don't really have that off switch. They're not like apex apex the same way that the uh the grizzlies are and uh, so if you're going to get eaten by a bear it's usually going to be a black bear oh shit. Uh, yeah but they're but they are smaller and they do tend to run away more um uh and some sometimes they're not super small though this particular night i um i cooked uh those those trout um at the campfire and it was which was amazing uh, but um, it was actually the first time that I had seen another person in like four days or something. There was some random guy in this campground. Uh, he was super non-social. Uh, and um, and so and I saw him for like maybe 15, 20 minutes. And then he had already had his tent set up and everything. And um, and I never saw him again after that. But um, I was trying to be like considerate because he was sleeping like right. For some reason, he put his tent right next to the fire pit. And so um, so I like. 
I cooked my fish and then I um, threw the, uh, the bones into the fire. And usually I'd let them just like completely char out and then burn off. And, uh, but then that particular night, I didn't want to leave the fire on super late um, because there was a dude sleeping right next to it. And so I, I doused the fire because you have to be like super fire cautious. Um, so I like really heavily doused it. But, um, uh, but when you douse a campfire, um, it takes a little while for all that um, moisture to kind of evaporate off in the in that remaining residual heat, even after all the fire's out. So usually a couple hours after you like fully put the campfire out, uh, once all the water dries out, you get this burst of campfire aroma. Uh, it's really kind of like a nice smell, but that'll come like, you know, in the middle of the night or whatever. And, um, and for me that particular night, um, because I put it out a little earlier than normal, it, I, I woke up at about midnight and and that 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 burst of smell was 100% cooked trout like oh, yeah. it was just like it was like a trout bomb like it smelled great but i woke up at like 12:30 and i was like that is going to call every bear in like the yeah like what, a bear could probably smell that from like 100 miles away right i seriously and i'd been, <laughs> i'd seen bear scat earlier that day and so i was like ah well this is going to be interesting and kind of like rolled back over and went back to sleep and then maybe like half an hour later I woke up as this large branch just snapped, you know, like you can just hear that immediately. Yeah. And, and I could, and this bear just like walks through the camp. I'm like peering under the edge of my tent, like looking in the moonlight and, um, and you just get this big shape and you can hear it just like crunching through all of this brush and it goes right up to the campfire and kind of like stirs it around a little bit. That dude must have been losing his mind. Oh, that yeah, bear was dude. like two feet away from him. <laughs> and, um, and then, and yeah, and the bear kind of like roots around for a minute and then he just like, you know, takes off. And, uh, but anyway, bears so now, are so cool, man. <laughs> bears are so cool. Um, I, I had, I had maybe, I had, I had a ton of bear experiences where they come in at night, but I saw bears uh, maybe four times on the trail. And uh, they were, they were, they're always super cool. Like I've only gotten, uh, I've only had one, uh, one bear encounter, like where I actually like came face to face with a bear my whole life, man, just one, yeah. but it was tight. I was like, Oh damn, this bear is so cool. I hope it doesn't kill me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and they're so big that like, you're really just kind of hoping most of the time you can like quasi fight off a black bear if they're like small, but especially the, the bigger ones, like, yeah, they're just going to eat you. They're, they're huge. They, yeah. they'll do they'll do what they want with you and then grizzlies are in like a whole other like realm that's why you play dead with them but yeah it, also it was probably about, probably the worst animal to get eaten by almost certainly yeah 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 black bears are like no joke too it, at least a mountain lion's gonna like it, it'll kill you first yeah and then eat you yeah. <laughs> but like bears yeah. are just like <laughs> yeah i i read a i read an article talking about a woman in um, europe that got that um placed a phone call while being eaten by a black bear and it was like, shit. like yeah yeah like she called her mom and was like mom it's eating me it was it was tar- terrible which is really like i i hate repeating those kind of stories because they're really interesting but uh but also is the complete opposite of you know, like people are way too afraid of bears and cats. Like, yeah. um, like there's a, there's a sense that, you know, you're out in the middle of the wilderness, they're just going to come eat you because you're prey, but they actually, they don't want anything to do with you. Like 99% of the time, uh, every bear that I saw on trail immediately turned around and ran away. 
at an, aston at an astonishing rate, uh, but they just like take off. And I was really sad because I wanted to get a good photo of one because like I was taking photos through this whole trip. Yeah. And, um, and, and I really wanted a photo of one, but, but every time I saw them, um, we always end up sneaking up on each other because if they hear you, they're going to like skedaddle and you'll never see them. Um, but um, like one example, I was coming around a bend in the trail that was coming up and around and there was a creek right there. And so the creek like burbling along was masking my the sound of me walking. And so I come up around this corner um, on this creek and there are uh, two uh, cinnamon black bears sitting there looking at me. And we were probably 10 to 15 feet apart, scared the hell out of each other. Uh, they turned and just booked it downhill i'm like i had a moment where like it, my, it's really weird to kind of record your first reaction in those moments uh for me i was like those are way too small to be grizzlies and then i was like shit where's my camera and <laughs> and then by the time i completed both of those thoughts they were hightailing it away at like 30 miles an hour into the uh, down this gorge into the forest and then i spent the entire rest of that day with my camera out recording like trying to see if i'd stumble in on them again but uh but yeah the bears Bears are like really chill most of the time and uh, people are like way more afraid of them than they need to be. But, you know, if you mess with them or uh, they get habituated to humans or they're starving or something, they will eat your ass. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't remember the name of the, the documentary. I'm sure you might have seen it, too. It's called uh, I think it was called like the Grizzly Man. Do you know what I'm talking about? He yeah. was the dude that went he like he lived with grizzly bears. Like he lived in their cave with them for like eight years, like. And they just never ate him because, like, I guess, like, <laughs> just I don't know what. So he, like, literally in his mind, he thought he became a grizzly bear. And then there's, like, the final year he went to go stay with him. And, like, his camera was on, but you couldn't see him. So you could, but the audio was on. And so you could hear him being eaten for, like, 30 minutes oh, because they don't, like, they don't just, they don't bite your jugular. They don't yeah. give a shit. They're, like, almost like raccoons, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Brandon, I got to say this, dude, it is time for the <laughs> lightning round. Uh, you're familiar with the lightning round, right? Yeah. All right. But just in case I got to uh, reacquaint you with the rules, the lightning round is so unlike all the other questions I've asked you where, you know, it's important to be thoughtful and to kind of think about your answer. Lightning round is nothing like that. I'm going to ask you a question as fast as I can. And it's gut reaction. And you just got to, answer as fast as you can some of them will be easy some of them some of them will just be questions that you know that are just kind of like logistical stuff that you already know but some are going to just going to be like don't think and whatever first comes to your mind that's the true answer okay all right we'll start off with a pretty easy one because i know you know the answer to this and i'm just very curious i just want to know uh how many days worth of water can you carry like like from uh, a start point as, as as many as you can carry, honestly, well, it's like two and a half, two point two pounds per liter. So, um, I I kept a capacity of seven liters when I was in the desert. Uh, I only actually filled that up once, which was doing the uh, LA Aqueduct. You go through this huge dry stretch where it's just miserable hot, and there's no water for like I think it's like twenty miles, a little bit less. And so during during that period, and and you need like four uh, four miles to a liter probably. And at least more. Oh, wow. in the yeah. And so, so yeah, so it's as much as you can possibly carry. I usually, I usually had about two or so when there were streams coming up, you're looking down the trail uh, on the map at where all of the water sources are. So you get super keyed into where the water is and then you carry 
only as much as it will take you to get to the next water because it is the majority of your weight a lot of the time. Yeah, it's the, heavy, the heaviest thing on you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So like you'd say like seven liters is like a pretty, pretty hefty load. Oh God. Yeah. It weighs like yeah. a ton. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool, man. Uh, now you definitely already told us a story uh, about when you were not able to access your, uh, your resupply, but you were also in a, uh, you know, an area where there was a lot of like fishing, you were getting really lucky catching a lot of fish. And so you were able to get through there and, and, uh, and eat, but obviously that wasn't a planned thing, but I did have a question. Uh, do you ever intentionally, uh, rely on being able to supplement your food supplies while you're in the wilderness or do you never rely on that? Uh, unless it's just, no, like for, I did a bunch of reading about this too beforehand, but yeah, no, like, um, on these kind of trips, like you want to have your calories as much as you can, like dialed in ahead of time. Um, and then anything that you can catch, I totally all about foraging and catching stuff, but that is always a supplement. Um, cause you, it, it takes so much longer to do the hunter gatherer thing than people think. And if you're hiking 12 hours a day, there's like, not enough time for that if you're going to make, make uh, any sort of distance on the trails. So, so yeah, you, you want to keep as much food with you as possible. I, that was probably one of the hardest things for me on the trail was I was constantly just bleeding weight. Like I, I had, I was burning like 6,500 calories a day. Probably I lost 40 or 50 pounds over the course of the trail. Like, Holy was, shit. Yeah. Yeah. I started at like 193 probably. And, um, when oh, I, damn. so you were like emaciated at the end of this. Thing. Oh dude, I, I had, I had no body fat. I, I got down to like low single digit body fat where I was eating as much as I humanly could. Anytime I was in trail, just gorging or anytime I was in town, just absolutely gorging. And then carrying, I could only carry and like eat maybe 3,500 calories of trail food with me. I was carrying bottles of oil, uh, like literally like a bottle of olive oil and a bottle of coconut oil. And I would sip on them throughout the day just to get calories because it's the most calories per, you know, uh, density per amount of weight that you can have. Oh, that's super smart. I never even yeah. thought about doing something like that. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 it helped quite a bit. But but I got I got super depleted to the point where I, I was actually like peeing blood at one point in uh, Northern California, where like my body was like, just like, failing on me. And I had to like, really be like, I need to like force in as much calories and, and food as possible. And like, really kind of get things like back under control. Um, That's but crazy. yeah, but um, I never yeah, even so, thought about that aspect of, of a trip that long that you would like, oh, yeah, that you lose that much down. weight. Yeah, like, uh, it was really funny, because when I was uh, pretty early on the trail, uh, one of the guys that I met was like, man, this is such like an awesome experience. Like, uh, how many, how many years do you think this is going to add to our lives having, you know, done all this awesome activity? And I was like, dude, this is going to be so hard on you like this, by the end of the trail, like this is you're you're slowly dying as you're going along, like you are pushing your body so far beyond its limits that it is literally breaking itself down by by the end of it. And, um, and so, so yeah, no, it was, it was like, it was hard, <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, keep your food lined out. Like <laughs> anything you can catch is like a bonus and you need the bonus, but don't count on the bonus. All right. Well, like, now let me ask you a really serious question. All right. Uh, which Lord of the Rings character do you most identify with <laughs> <laughs> and why? <laughs> oh God. Um, that is a hard question. I don't know. I'm going to say Sam because I liked him the most and he was like friendly and, and, uh, and cool. The, um, yeah, Sam was a good dude for sure. Dude, I wasn't was, expecting you to say Sam though at all. 
No, I know. I, uh, that's weird too. Like people talk about like with Harry Potter, they're like sorting themselves into houses and stuff. And like, I totally internally feel like a Hufflepuff. And like most <laughs> people are like, dude, you act like a Gryffindor or whatever. But I, inside, I feel like a Sam. So um so yeah so i don't know that, that oh, that's a great answer man i yeah. literally i just for some reason i thought you would say aragorn because he spent like the first hundred years of his life uh wandering around i know hey, hiking uh middle earth dude <laughs> well this is the lightning round and you gotta say yeah, no, but that's <laughs> awesome man because he went straight to like well no but like genuinely as a person sam that's yeah. fucking cool man yeah. all right this is uh oh, this is a good question i'm glad i wrote this uh what are you more interested in uh ocean exploration or space exploration uh personally i am a science fiction author that really likes space a lot i think the ocean has more than enough exploration for us available on on earth and like there's a ton of uh, awesome stuff in there I, i'd love to do some like deep sea explorations and stuff like that really cool i would love to go to our uh, outer space though like uh if I had to choose between the two, I, I'd go explore another planet. <laughs> I was going to ask you what uh, what genre of fiction you write. You write sci-fi. That's fucking awesome, dude. That's my favorite I, genre. Yeah, yeah. I, I write I write pretty much all over the board. A lot of the time, well, I was I wasn't trying to pigeonhole you, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, speculative fiction like that that umbrella is pretty much my home. So, uh, science fiction, you know, fantasy, horror, you know, all that kind of stuff. I've written uh, a decent amount of fiction. I wrote I wrote a romance novel that because I was really. Um, trying to get published <laughs> oh tight, dude. That, that was an interesting experience uh so but yeah science fiction is probably my home within the, the genres yeah dude it's uh there's a quote by kurt vonnegut that i really liked about about that you know because obviously kurt vonnegut was a very you know he's like in my opinion like the great american author but he he got uh put in the drawer with other science you know with, as, with science fiction and he right. said uh he wouldn't be he wouldn't he couldn't be happier being put in any other drawer and in the science fiction drawer. And yeah. I, I, I appreciate that. I like that, uh, that quote by him, man. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, this is actually, and, uh, this is kind of cool. Cause we were just talking about this, man. When you said you would like, when you got to town, you had to like, you had to pack the calories to, you know, keep from like turning into that dude from uh, thinner, that Stephen King movie. So, uh-huh. uh, what is your most highly recommended restaurant that a person who is taking the Pacific crest trail could access? Oh, um, that's hard. There, it's all kind of conditioned based on where you are too. I I could tell you the, um, probably one of the favorite meals that I had, uh, trying to remember the name of it. It was like this tiny little, uh, resort in, um, in Oregon where, uh, you come off trail to resupply. I'm having a hard time remembering the name, but the, um, I, I, like I said, like I ate as much food as humanly possible and I was on a budget. Like I was trying to keep the cost down as much as I could. Anyway, I went into this one little tiny resort and, um, the, uh, uh they served, uh, uh, hamburgers. And so, and I, I like my hamburgers, like super rare, like very, very rare. And, and a lot of, and cooks will accommodate that more or less, but there was this one little shop and it was like in the middle of this random resort where they were serving these giant hamburgers. They advertise them as being like half pound patties, but they were definitely more like eclipsing the bun. And I, I got him to give me two patties and like ultra rare. And he only charged me like a dollar fifty for the extra patty. And so I, I sat there with like a pound and a quarter of hamburger. Yeah. And just like 
mount it. It was, it was amazing. But some of those little tiny resorts that um, uh, are just like scattered along this rail, they'll have some excellent food. It, it, you can find some pretty awesome stuff all throughout. And then of course, everybody knows about like the pie and Julian, which is pretty early. Uh, that was, that was a pretty good restaurant that was worth the go into too. Tight, man. I guess, uh, you know, does that ever like kind of bother you? Like, you know, after you've been like, when you get off the trail and you go eat like really rich food and then you got to go hike again, does that ever like suck? Or you like, do you just feel like you, like you got lead in your stomach or? Oh, hell yeah. Like, like I was saying, when you get off town, off trail and go into town, the first day or so after you get back on trail, it's just absolute misery. You're all, you're heavy. Like you, I, I'd have like 10 pounds of food inside of my gut, you know, and like, yeah. and then a full resupply on my back. And your, your body spends so much energy on trying to digest stuff that um, it, you're just like, you're dragging. Yeah. And um, so it takes like, it takes like a day of eating the food that's you're carrying and digesting everything that you just like gorged on in town before you kind of fall back into the rhythm again. Uh, so yeah, so that, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but humans are so much, so we're so different than like all of like our, our, our animal friends out there. Cause you know, like animals, like they'll put all, all that energy into getting their meal. But then once yeah. they've eaten, like, you know, like a lion, once yeah. a lion's had like their meal, they just lay back. Like they don't go for a walk, <laughs> you know, like, uh, yeah. all right, man, here's, here's another movie question, dude. Uh, but it's also, a, uh, but it's a true story. It's Revenant. Uh, yeah. Do you think that when the Revenant had a hike across the uh, hike across all South Dakota after getting mauled by a bear, do you think that was pretty tough or is that just more Hollywood propaganda? Uh, well, I mean, kind of depends on how it actually looked in real life. I, I can tell you being injured and hiking is a nightmare. And, uh, and if you can do it, it's pretty tough. You, you, you've got it. Uh, and the human body and, uh, and will is capable of a tremendous amount when, when push comes to shove, um, you can, that was one of the things that I really learned on the trail. That was a really valuable lesson was, um, people kind of run around with a very diminished view of what their body is actually capable of. Um, people, you know, it, they, they feel in their day-to-day -day life, like they're pushing their limits, you know, like even like working out or going on a little run or whatever. Um, like, oh, that that's, that's all my body can possibly do. Um, but no, dude, like you can throw your body into some extreme stuff like, like this hike, you know, like I was like injured, had no food. I, I just was like, you are going to keep hiking. And my body was like, okay. And just kind of like kept the legs moving for another, you know, thousand miles or whatever. Um, so, so some of that kind of extreme stuff is, is definitely possible. Whether, whether Hollywood like hyped that whole situation up, uh, you know, that's yeah. another, that's another thing entirely, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting The people can do a lot when they're really motivated. It was a tight ass movie. It was a cool story too. Yeah. Is that the, I, I don't know. I mean, you probably don't know if it's off the top of your head, but I, I know that like there was that time period where Leonardo DiCaprio had, had made like a billion movies, but he'd never gotten uh, yeah. an award. And so maybe, I think that might've been the movie where they were finally like, give him a, an Oscar dude. He did the Revenant. Cause yeah. it was like, cause I think everyone was like, Oh, Wolf of Wall Street, like that. He'll get it for that. And then uh, Matthew McConaughey just like swooped in. It was like, Nope. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're, they're like, okay, let's make this as much like torture porn. You have to give it to him. This clearly was miserable, you know, poor guy. <laughs> yeah. They, it, he looked like he was through the ringer for that. Um, so yeah. And, and yeah, he went forever without getting an Oscar. I know, man. And I've been, 
he made some pretty great movies. Did you ever see the Basketball Diaries? Uh, maybe a long time ago. It's like his like he was super young. Mark Wahlberg's in it too, and he's like a teenager. It's like oh wow, crazy crazy early on, but it's like it's also a true story. Uh, I don't know. I, I recommend it, man. It's a little depressing. All right, moving <laughs> on to the next question. All right, you know how sometimes when sailors have been at sea for way too long, they start seeing like mermaids and shit. Uh, do you think people uh, ever hike for too long and then they'll be like looking at a cactus and just be like, yo, that cactus looks fine. Like, do you think that ever <laughs> happens to people? <laughs> oh yeah. No, dude. Like kind of referencing back to your, uh, your Tai Chi moment uh, again, like you get really silly after you get you're alone for like three days or so your brain's trying to entertain itself. Um, there's a, a phenomenon, I believe it's pareidolia or, or whatever, where you start seeing um, uh, shapes and faces in in like random, uh, you know, everyday things like trees and stuff. I, I got I got that to like the extreme at various points on the trail where everything looked like a face or like a weird animal or, you know, uh, fortunately, I didn't end up humping any cactuses. But <laughs> the, uh, uh, but yeah, there are some really like random things. And I was seeing faces everywhere. And that's totally your brain's pattern recognition and like the deprived social element just being like let me try to find something else that's in the environment that i can like pretend as another human <laughs> yeah <laughs> dude uh brandon also the most important question obviously of this entire uh envy man is uh like where, where can people like find you check out uh check out your work and like um obviously i like we were we've been talking about how you're doing uh like a, a photography series of this that people can check on Instagram, but also something I'm very curious is that I know you have uh, some fiction work that you've written that's going to be coming out soon. And I would like to, I'd love to know how I can keep up with that and how I can, uh, how I can read that, how I can find that. Yeah. Yeah. So for, as far as like online presence, I'm pretty much on uh, Instagram right now. Like I'm building that up and yeah, people can get to me through there. It's um, at Brandon case one one And then I think you'll have links to it. Um, as far as like the fiction and stuff, I'll be posting links when it starts coming out. Um, I'm uh, doing a really awesome project called uh, Los Suelos, uh, which is a fictional town in, in um, California. Um, it, it's actually, it's, it's super cool. Um, can't really get into too much about what it is, but at this point, cause it's still pretty early in development, uh, but I'm working with editors to come up with a really interesting story. Uh, so that's, that was like a really cool one. Um, I'll be published in a, um, a small, um, Drabble uh, market uh, called uh, 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 Martian Magazine uh, in December, December 13th, I think. And so that's that's Drabble. There are 100 word stories um, where it has to be exactly 100 words and still. Oh, like, yeah. I've heard about that, dude. I've heard about those. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So I have Drabble coming out in, in Martian Magazine in December. And, and it's the it's the science fiction Martian Magazine, not the racist one. It's it's unfortunate that I have to clarify that anytime I talk to people. Oh, shit, it, that sucks. There's another one that's a racist. Fucking, I hate those guys, I know. man. And they always find a way to ruin everything. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so anyway, so it's the science fiction one. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so those are the two main projects that I have coming out later in this year that I'm like super amped about. Um, and then, uh, yeah, got a bunch of stuff on Instagram and I'll kind of, um, I really have needed to develop a, uh, an online presence, which I've been avoiding doing for many years. So I'm starting with Instagram and then I'll kind of like branch out. But, uh, if you head there, you can get a hold of me and, you know, I'll throw up links when I put new workout. Word. And also, yeah, anyone listening, like 
if you follow me on any of my socials, obviously I will be continuing to follow Brandon. So whenever he puts some up, something else out new, I will make sure that that link is accessible through me. If, if you just, for any reason, like, uh, you know, if that's just how it goes, I don't know if you're like ever going to make a Twitter or whatever, you know, or a website, <laughs> but you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Brandon, man, I can't thank you enough for coming on uh, the podcast today. Uh, it, was, it was a super pleasure, man. Thank you so much, dude.